Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of outdoor adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can read more about the show online at traillesstravel.net. And now here's your host, Grand Canyon Whitewater Guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. We are sitting on the edge of the Colorado River at a place called Pipe Creek, and we are on the Grand Canyon. This is the day that our adventure exchanges guests, so our group of 24 guests are hiking back up to the top of the Grand Canyon on Bright Angel Trail, and we have a new group of 24 guests hiking in, and our trip leader is my guest, and his name is Glenn Goodrich. Glenn, thank you so much for your guidance, for being my friend, and also for joining me here on the Trail Less Traveled. Thank you, Mandela. Glenn, my first question for you is where did you grow up and how was adventure a part of your childhood? I grew up in Stamford, Connecticut, and adventure wasn't a big part of my childhood. My parents were not real outdoorsy, but they loved to travel, so my passions are outdoor adventure and but travel as well, so we did a lot of vacations, and when we were on the vacations, anytime we were outdoors, I loved to go outdoors, and loved water. Waterfalls are one of my favorite things, but anytime we were, if there was a boating trip, those were my favorite things, uh, just being on the water, so I knew I loved water. Never did camping with some friends, but the outdoors thing really just kind of hit while I was in college and took a raft trip, and absolutely loved it and ended up graduating in computer science and as I say to folks I graduated in computer science in 1976 and figured there's no future in that and I loved that raft trip so much that I decided to train and the rest was history so the outdoor thing really came about more in college than it did as as a kid in Connecticut. Tell us a little bit about your career in rafting so people can understand you've been featured in multiple magazines canoe and kayak and paddler magazine you've run over 445 rivers as of may 2018 where did it all start well i ended up training in uh, west virginia on the new and the golly river and guided there and east coast i was an east coast guide up until 2003 when I did my first baggage trip with Outdoors Unlimited. But trained in 77 in the fall and started guiding in 78, 1978. Right away, 1979, we did a western trip in, to the Middle Fork of the Salmon, which was my first multi-day, and absolutely loved that. One of the things, maybe part of why I was in computer science, I was good at math and then good at organizing. And so... So those two things, the, the organizing part, I, someone else organized that middle fork of the salmon, but I thought, I can do this. The math part I think the, is probably why I like numbers, and I've kept track of the 445 rivers and pretty much kept track of all the statistics of all the rivers I've ever run, just because I'm a, kind of a numbers person. And then just a year later in 1980, I drew a permit here on the Grand Canyon, and 
nowadays if you do a Grand Canyon trip, you often hire someone to do your food, your gear, your shuttle. And in 1980, didn't really think about that and just put everything together myself and led a trip of 14 of us. Uh, did a private trip 19 days and I organized it and went well and I thought I'm pretty good at this and what a great way to go out with friends and do different rivers and I do that every year, at least every year, if not more than once a year. I love to do new rivers, so that's why I have 445. I, that's not just whitewater. I, I love a beautiful scenic canoe float. Um, and I live in Indiana, and so I'll do the canoe floats when I'm home and find a different river there. But obviously the rafting is my passion, but the a goal is to see as many rivers as I can possibly see in the world. And so every year at least do some kind of trip where I organized going out with friends. And, you know, in rafting you normally have seven, nine-person boats. We go out in little two-person boats and play on rivers. And, for instance, last year I went to Italy, and we went to Italy, Switzerland, Austria, and France, and we did eight different rivers while we were there, and I organized that. So just want to keep organizing trips where I can see different rivers and want to see everything I can around the world. Glenn, how has rafting evolved as a adventure activity since you first discovered it? Things have changed for sure. These days, they're taking people down more sporty rivers. People ask me, you know, what, what's the biggest change you've seen? And that I would definitely say what's called self-bailers. And before self-bailers, you do class five rivers and you're full of water and you're out of control. You've got to use a bucket to get your water out of the boat. Nowadays, with, with the self-bailers, they're doing five pluses and, and even with clients. And so that's a big change. And, and so doing a little more hardcore stuff. Not that I'm as much into it now. I'm 63 years old and not looking for waterfalls, and, but still love the class three, four floats with a little bit of class five. But that was a big change. But when I started, and kind of a funny thing I was talking about this morning with one of the guides, um, we carry these little float cushions on the Grand Canyon, and they were just needed back in the day years ago, and they, they still require them even though nobody thinks of any use for them. But one of the uses was when I started as a river guide, now we have throw ropes where if you have a swimmer out in the water, you throw a rope to them and we pull them back in. Back then they, did, they hadn't put together these ropes in a bag and so what we had was a coil rope and at the end of that coil rope was your throw cushion and you'd use that to rescue somebody but where I started I was, I was on an ore boat company and we had these old wooden frames and if you were a rookie guide you didn't get a throw cushion and you sat on the wood oh. and so as you got to be a senior guide it was, it's like great I got a cushion to sit on but but it wasn't a lot much longer after that that throw bags came about I don't know, evolution-wise, in, in a lot of ways, it's not a lot different. But just the more rivers you do, all the little things that we do. One of, we just sent 24 people out, and they just raved about how everything worked so well. And everything worked so well because you know, the outfitters themselves have had 40 years of doing this, 50 years of doing this. And we still find little things like we do this thing this way a little better. Evolution-wise, it's uh, boats is another thing are are better these days and more designed for specific rivers, possibly. Or, 
But yeah, but I've seen some changes. If you're just tuning in, that's the voice of Glenn Goodrich on the Gali River. Uh, he's known as the Gali Lama, and he is an absolute legend. He's a trip leader for Outdoors Unlimited on a rafting adventure that we are currently on. We are sitting here on the edge of the Colorado. It's running clear green, and we are waiting for 24 new guests to hike in, get them hydrated, fed, and safety briefed, and then we're going to run Horn Creek Granite, Hermit, and tomorrow Crystal Rapids. So, Glenn, you have run now 445 rivers of the world. You want to hit 500, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Uh, at some point, yeah. Uh-huh. So I'm probably getting about 10 new ones a year, so probably should hit that soon. Yeah. So, Glenn, I would like to ask you now about an experience that you may have had in your early childhood or just the evolution of you as an adventurer where you had an experience and you learned a lesson from that experience that you can share with the listener. Oh, I've certainly learned lessons. I've, I've made, made mistakes and learned from it. But always learning. I'm always learning. I mean, I'm learning on this trip. Always learning new things. You know that I love guests and love playing around, and you and I both yeah. do 360s and yeah. rapids and occasionally learn from that as you learn your limits whether it's just the playing around but i was doing 360s in a rapid once and everybody's cameras and things spread out all over the raft and we did a 360 and hit it just a little wave and almost flipped i swam i fell out and and it was like okay you know yeah i want to have fun but there's also we got to be careful on what how we do this and if that boat had flipped people would have lost cameras i was lucky But, but i mean that's just an example of but always learning. That's a little thing, but can definitely learn from your mistakes for sure. But like I say, always learning from things. But just I think a big lesson where I've developed and changed over the years is that I don't have to do everything myself. And we have a fantastic crew here, and it's fine to delegate. And, and so that example of where I mentioned I did the Grand Canyon in 1980, I did everything. It went okay, but trying to do your own food for 19 days in your own gear and as I went along uh, my next Grand Canyon trip I said okay I'm never going to run a shuttle again because it's a 16 hour shuttle and they can do it for you and the next Grand Canyon trip I said why am I packing this food and then finally uh, maybe another trip I said why am I bringing my own gear they have everything customized to what to all the gear they're giving you with the food and everything that's an example but I, I think that's one thing I've changed over the years is I'm much more willing to delegate and, and there's some great organizations or people that can do things for you and i uh, don't have to do it all so so i guess that's a lesson learned in 1976 you went rafting for the first time and you had obviously an epiphany that you didn't want to work on computers but what was that feeling that you had on the river in 1976 that that was your calling that your office was going to be on a raft the rafter was fantastic, and I said, this is great, I love this. Being the organizer, I organized it for a group and came back a couple of times and, and just said, yeah, I want to be a guide, this is great. But I more say that kiddingly, that there was no future in computer science. Definitely was no future in me because I wanted to be outdoors, and I never would have liked that as much. It didn't take long, so I decided to be a guide, but the first thought was, okay, I'll be a guide for a couple years. 
and then I can get back into my field if I want to and see what I want to do. But but then it didn't take very long. It, it wasn't just one thing. It was just I started taking guests down the river, even though the the first raft trip I was a guest and, and absolutely loved it. I guess that passion for taking people down the river came quickly. My, my first year of guiding, I, I started thinking, yeah, I, I want to do this for a while. And then, then it was like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm not stopping. I'm, I wanna, if I can make a living out of this, I'm going to do it. But, but it was a, the first trip was amazing. I remember hitting a big hole called Surprise and never forget that trip. And that was the first big rapid on the river. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, so it was a passion from the start. wasn't necessarily going to be a career, but then it didn't take long to decide, yeah, I don't need to do anything else. This is it. All right, Glenn, we're sitting on the edge of the Colorado River on a trip that you're trip leading. Just now, Katie, one of the baggage boaters, pulled in, and we're going to have two more oar boats pulling in and probably have to check in with those guys. But I was wondering if you could tell us what you're looking at this is a radio program so the listeners cannot really see you know where you're sitting on the edge of the river in this canyon so can you describe what you see when you look around you everybody's heard of the grand canyon it is unquestionably one of the most amazing places in the world there are so many people that just go to the rim and look down and that's an amazing view and all the colors and the layers and but there's nothing like sitting at the bottom, looking up at the layers, looking up you're in the bottom of this big canyon, hearing the water flow by. I love camping and hearing just with the rapids in the background and not just seeing right here. We're, we're sitting here and listening to Pipe Springs Rapid, so the sounds and the sights. And, and I'm actually colorblind. I still see the shades, and it's still absolutely spectacular right here amazing place and i always tell my people that this is the best river experience in the world you mentioned the golly river which i say golly is my favorite whitewater the grand canyon is my best river experience and the experience means that the side hikes which you're visually seeing some incredible slot canyons and and uh, waterfalls and and just like we're sitting here you, you just look at this for 13 days that we're going you're looking at these incredible walls and there's nothing like it. This is a great place to be. And I said my passion is rafting, but my passion is the rafting experience and the rafting people. But that experience is looking at this amazing place is a huge part of it. Glenn, what's unique about the geology that you're in right now? The canyon's so deep, and we've gone through so many layers. There's a lot of little unique features, but the Grand Canyon is is really well known for its layers. The upper layers are all sedimentary, and then, then all of a sudden you have this metamorphic section, and we're sitting in a place called Granite Gorge. It's no longer the layered rock, but the layers are right on top of it, and there's a big gap in time that geologically called the Great Unconformity. That's a big thing about the Grand Canyon, that there was a time period where it was, the earth was worn away and nothing was built back, and so there's a big missing time gap there. Uh, and you're looking at that. You're looking at this metamorphic rock in front of us and, and then the layered rock above it. And unique and incredible. You're on the trail less traveled, and the voice you hear is the voice of Glenn Goodrich. 
Glenn, it's time for a song. Can you please share with us one of your favorite songs? Perhaps it reminds you of your early adventures. If you want a, a song that I still like, and some of the old old school Grand Canyon guides thought it was kind of hokey, but it was a song by the Ozark Mountain Daredevils, and it was called Mr. Powell. And it was really a, about his, his expedition in 1869. And those early Grand Canyon trips that I organized, I'd get some kind of, back then it was a CD player or whatever, and I'd play it at Lee's Ferry, and I thought, you know, it just kind of gave me shivers and... John Wesley Powell was the first man down the Grand Canyon in 1869 and led the first group, I should say. The Trailless Travel Podcast is sponsored by Karuna Clothing, sewn with love and laughter. Karuna Clothing is handcrafted from natural fabrics which soften as they age. They design clothing lines to fit the moods of places which have inspired them. Design this simply and using the best fabrics. Karuna Clothing creates their own unique colours. Strong, well sewn, small batch, unique product lines which are simply beautiful. Handmade in Missoula, Montana, all of Karuna Clothing is sewn and dyed in the US and all workers are paid good living wages www.karunaclothing.com that's k-a-r-u-n-a clothing.com We're sitting on the edge of the Colorado River in the heart of Grand Canyon. We're sitting at the beach at Pipe Springs and I'm sitting with a living legend. His name is Glenn Goodrich and he's known around the world as the Gali Lama because he has guided on many, many, many of the rivers of the world. He's run 445 rivers as of May 2018. Glenn is our trip leader. We are doing a two-week expedition with Outdoors Unlimited, Grand Canyon Rafting, and Glenn is our fearless leader. He's amazing. He leads the most wonderful trips. I'm really, really grateful to be here with him, and I actually try to request my trip so that I can work with Glenn because he's just a joy to be around, and it's always a good trip when he's on it. Glenn is known for just having fun in his paddle boats and being incredibly knowledgeable about the river, the human history, and also being an amazing storyteller. So I'm just going to ask Glenn to share a couple of his favorite stories from the past four decades of running rivers around the world. Thanks, Mandela. I can start with a double story of I've done a few first descents back in the 80s, and but two of them were by accident. So the first one was uh, in Costa Rica. I have organized these trips, and Mandela asked me in the first segment, and I had said I like organizing, and I'd organize a lot of trips for people. So I had organized a trip to Costa Rica with some rafting friends. Being uh, professional river guides, I didn't see needing to go with an outfitter. So I was able to find a local driver who drove trips for a very small company, in fact, it was kind of an American company in Costa Rica, and there were bigger companies down there already, but it was kind of a fly-by-night company, and we found this driver who was willing to drive us around. And so we did a few rivers and wanted to end with a river called the Pacuari. The Pacuari is probably the most popular river run in Costa Rica, a wonderful river, just absolutely gorgeous. But at that time, it was 1983, and... The only company running the Pacquari, and they had just started running it possibly a year prior to that, 
was a company called Rios Tropicalis, and they had bought property along the river to have an access to start your trip and do this class three, four river with the international scale of one to six, six being unrunnable. It was class three to four. I had read about it, and I wanted to do it. And so as we were finishing up with our driver, this is the last time we were going to see our driver, and we said we want to do the Pequari. But he didn't tell us that he didn't know the river or know anything about the river. So the access was owned by Rios Tropicalis, and he didn't have, have permission to do that. So he took us to the next bridge upstream. Well, that section from that bridge down to where we were supposed to start was class five, five plus, and we ran it. We did okay, but we were, the thing was, it was funny, is we're on the river and we're going, boy, these Costa Ricans have quite the rating system. They call us class three, four, yeah. and it's actually a class five. It was a totally different stretch of river. So we made it okay. It was just two two-person rafts, and we were, all four of us were pretty good paddlers, so we did quite well. And then I ended up in San Jose, Costa Rica, and met Rafael Gaius, the owner of Rios Tropicalis. And he says, nobody's ever rafted that before. And we had done it by accident because that driver had just dropped us off there. And, and we didn't see the driver again. He just left our vans at the takeout. But we were the first one to do it. Um, first raft descent. It had been kayaked twice. But they were actually in the Costa Rica Whitewater book. It talks about how some Americans ended up doing it by accident in 1983. So that was the first ascent. The other first ascent by accident was in New Zealand. Again, another trip I organized, a, a trip for 11 of us that we had small rafts. We had brought our own rafts all the way over to New Zealand, and we were running, just trying to run all different rivers, and we had rented vans, two vans. One of the rivers I wanted to do was a river called the Landsboro, and it was a commercially run river, and the, it was commercially run out of a town called Queenstown, had to fly in so you had to have a helicopter to get in and then it was a two-day trip down to a takeout that was along a road so what I had arranged was to have our vans at the ending point hired a helicopter helicopter come in to where our vans are so they could take us to the put-in and then we could raft back to our cars well the helicopter comes in and I get in I got in the first load and the I said, okay, take us to the put-in where your commercial trips are. And he goes, oh, well, where are you going? And I said, to the starting point of the Landsboro trip. He goes, I don't know where that is. <laughs> and uh, the reason was that they fly out of Queenstown. It was the same helicopter company, but they had a different office. So the helicopters out of there knew where to go. But because we were different arrangements, they sent a helicopter company close to where our vans were. And none of these pilots had a clue where where to take us and so so we're flying over the river i'm looking at sort of a topo map and thinking okay uh, this maybe looks like it but we're not sure but i said let's go a little further and went a little further and it looked like a little more sporty and i said well this may be above where we're, we're going it may not be but keep going and then we found a place to land and we said let's start here and we started there and and rafted down some there was a pretty good class five plus on that one we did okay and then we got into the regular Landsboro stretch and came back to our vans and then again went to a local outfitter and told him what we did and showed him on a map where we put in. And he said, first of all, no one's ever run that before. And he said, also said that it was illegal to run that. So we actually may be the only ones that have ever run it, but I never want to go any place that's done illegally, but we, we didn't know. Yeah. 
That was my other first descent. So, another story. I know Mandela. You want to do the Zambezi? You haven't done it, and we talked about adding that on to a, going to South Africa this fall or winter that we're talking about doing and trying to tack on the Zambezi. But I did this four months in Africa in 2007, 2008. And so I was at the Zambezi in 2007, and two weeks before I left for Africa, I went and had some friends that wanted to do the Dominican Republic, and we went down there to raft and rafted a couple rivers and decided to take a break in between and did a thing called canyoning. And it's a kind of a sport where you just go down a slot canyon and go in a wetsuit and you swim parts of the river and you jump off the rocks into the river and it's just a sport of getting down from the top to bottom in this river and nothing to do with the, the sport of canyoning, but... I was just scooching over a rock and fell and broke my wrist. And it was right before my Africa trip. So two weeks later, I've got a 20-day trip in Africa, of which I was just, I was supposed to do what we call a baggage boat, carry your gear down, and I couldn't do that, but they let me come along anyway. The video boater they had scheduled to be in a kayak had to do his videoing from the baggage boat because of only two weeks' notice. And, but I did my 20-day Ethiopia trip, riding along with my arm in a cast but then I got to the Zambezi and uh, the Zambezi is so big that we have a action called high siding where you got to move towards one side of a raft typically done if if you go into a rock you move towards the rock and keep the weight downstream is what it is but the water's so big in the Zambezi they often have people they, they've hired locals to be high siders where you, you when you're coming to a big wave or if you get turned sideways their job is to immediately rack and dive to the high side well i was supposed to again row a baggage trip and then also guide a a group of friends that i had coming to pay for a trip and i couldn't do that because of my arm so they hired me as a professional high sider and so i was in the raft with my broken arm in a cast diving to the side of the sides of the boat that i needed to so i started my first trip on the Zambezi, first day ever on the Zambezi, the first day coming out from the Zambia side, and you have to paddle from calm water into the fast water, from eddy into current, as we our terms in, in river running. And it's called a peel out, and you had to peel out. But when you peeled out, you still couldn't get far enough out into the river to get past a wall. So you almost always went into this wall, and when you go into the wall, you high side. you got to move towards the wall. So here I am, the professional high sider in the boat, and we go do this peel out, and we go into the wall, and we went up on the wall, and I high sided, and everything went well. But when it came off the wall, I ended up on the low side and fell out. So my first day on the Zambezi, first rapid on the Zambezi, and I'm swimming in the water with a cast. In Zambia, it's mostly uh, locals that guide there. Originally, American companies started on the Zambezi, and now they're hiring locals, which is the right thing to do. That's great that they do that. And some of the locals start kayaking very young, and their, their kayaking experience is in the Zambezi, so they get very good because it's a challenging river. So they have these 14-year-old kayakers as safety boaters. Now, what a safety boater should do is if you swim, wait till you get out of the rapid, and then you can go to them, and they can help tow you over to the shore or Safe, you know, keep you from going through the next rapid or tow you over to another boat for safety. And that's their job. But 
these 14-year-olds were very aggressive and saw me go out. And the one 14-year-old kid saw me go out and decided to aggressively paddle to me while I was still in the frothy water and, and not a terrible swim at this point. But here I am just kind of, you know, getting worked a little bit in the in the rapid but not bad and then this kayaker comes along trying to help and slammed me in the in my face chipped my two front teeth bloodied my lip and that was you know again he was trying to help but he didn't really help and so there i am all bloody and now not only do i have my arm in a cast now i've got it's the first rapid of the day so i got to run the rest of the day with this completely bloody lip and my front two teeth very much chipped the funny part about that was the uh, locals said there was a the local original tribe that lived in that area were called the tongas and they said the tongas would used to sharpen their teeth to eat into the meat and because of my chipped teeth they were now saying all right welcome to the tonga tribe you're now part of the tribe because of the anyway so that's my start of the zambezi but then they number the rapids, so a few of them have names, but rapid number four, also known as Morning Glory, is one of the two biggest. And we hit that one and uh, flipped. So I ended up swimming in my, with my cast and bloody lip and chipped teeth. And so at the bottom of the rapid, I swam over to a rock, pulled myself on that rock, and waited for a, a boat to come over and pick me up. And so... Anyway, that was it for the day. I had two exciting runs, but so the, the last part of the story is the, the, maybe the next day, but the next trip, w- within the next day or two, did another trip there. And uh, we made it through number one, and we made it through number four. But as we got through the bottom of number four, I just you know looked over at the rock I, was, I had swam to, and sitting on that rock was a crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> that same rock. So, so that was my start of my Zambezi experience. <laughs> You're listening to The Trail Less Traveled, and the voice you hear is the voice of Glenn Goodrich. Glenn has run over 445 rivers around the world as of May 19th, 2018. He's definitely going to be hitting 500 pretty soon here. Glenn, you mentioned crocodiles mm-hmm. on the Zambezi. Can we talk about the crocodiles a little bit and maybe the hippos and some other critters that you might encounter in Africa? Yes. Of course, you know, a big part of the experience is, is, is wildlife. We see wildlife here on the Grand Canyon, bighorn sheep and, and condors and things. And so it's Africa, of course, amazing wildlife, and it was pretty cool to see the see things. But, yeah, crocodiles were on the Zambezi. Not many. The Zambezi starts right below Victoria Falls, one of the seven wonders of the world, and we start right just past the base of it. But, anyway, you don't see many crocs there, but we just happen to see one, and because... They don't travel upstream much with all that big white water, and they don't care to be in the huge white water. Uh, if it's continuous white water, they want calm stretches. The few crocodiles that are there are uh, ones that actually got swept over Victoria Falls, and the the adult ones usually don't make it. But little baby ones, the small ones, end up surviving, and they work their way downstream and survive and. And so that's why there's some there. There were ones that got swept over the falls. But I did a three-day trip, and we definitely saw more crocodiles downstream where there's more calm water. And that 20-day trip in, it was in Ethiopia on the Omo that I started with before the Zambezi uh, was a, the Omo in Ethiopia. There were lots of, lots of hippos, lots of crocs, and, and the uh, uh, crocs were everywhere. And the 
hippos were so many that somebody decided to count them when we started in that 20-day trip we saw 380 hippos and and the hippos are known to be they kill more people in africa than any other wildlife more than snakes more than crocs and uh hippos just are well obviously so big but they more often people are killed when they're startled if they they're nocturnal mostly and and then but they're traveling to feed at dusk or dawn and sometimes you have the farmers that are out working or or maybe just just people traveling along on a trail and they come around a bend and this hippo is coming out of the river and they startle them and that's where the hippo gets mad but we definitely in that river we it was mostly intermediate river class three on that one to six international scale class three with one class four so nothing really big but we we stayed out of the eddies the eddies are the calm water along the sides the current goes down the middle and you got the calm water on the sides stayed out of the eddies because the hippos could go underwater for many minutes at a time i mean i think it's something like 20 minutes or something but they they'll go under the water and just kind of rest there but they're in the calm water so you didn't want to swim and startle a hippo but they were really cool i love the hippos they were so much fun to see them and every once in a while they'd start there are some animals that love to do false charges bears do that and hippos do that so there were times when we were floating down the river and a hippo would start coming towards us and we just start rowing away okay you know we're gonna miss with this guy and then he'd turn and go away but, but they were fun we, we loved the hippos and, and, and the crocs on that river i was in my cast and it was a hearty trip and and towards the end of the trip there were some tribes on that river that were two reasons for doing the omo one the first part was beautiful jungle trip with waterfalls along the side then you got into the second part where there were these tribes african tribes that the only white people they've ever seen are ones that go down the river and this river is so hardly ever run it's only once or twice a year they see anybody so part of it was just that culture just seeing these people and and they they had these huge lip plates and and we would stop and we would have to pay to take photos of them which is great helping their local economy but it was hardly nothing anything to pay for for that and we would do that and you negotiate with the chief or whatever to take photos and but there was one tribe that was very aggressive that they didn't like you stopping there and if they did you did stop there for instance most people would that were charged uh, might be charged in in our currency uh, in the united states a uh, a quarter or something to take the photos and this one tri- tribe they would be mad at you taking photos but then demand fifty dollars for the photos and if you didn't they even had a gun whether it was loaded or not but you didn't want to mess with that and there were machetes and all that so we most of the time just stayed away from that tribe and they were on one side of the river and so we were often you know limited to where we could stay and for the last two or three days except for the last day in other words the second to last third to last fourth to last day we ended up staying on these really muddy muddy beaches that were it was just very challenging for me with all the mud and my myself being in a cast and finally we the last night we're looking for a camp and we come around a corner and here's this beautiful sandy beach and there's about 10 crocs on it and i was like i don't care and we just started banging pans and pots and it's like i don't care if they're going away and they might come back and bother us at night and i want a sandy camp yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we chased the crocs off and camped there <laughs> so anyway but love the wildlife and absolutely love the hippos awesome. you are on the trail as traveled 
being recorded today on the edge of the Colorado River in the heart of Grand Canyon. We are sitting on the beach at Pipe Springs, waiting for a group of 24 guests to hike in and join us for the second half of the Grand Canyon. And the voice that you're hearing today is the storyteller and adventurer Glenn Goodrich, known around the world sometimes as the Dalai Lama. He has run over 445 rivers of the world and soon to be 500. When we come back, we're going to hear some more stories from Glenn's past 40-plus years of adventuring and rafting all over the world. But now it's time for a song. Glenn, is there another song that you can think of that is pertinent? Well, I don't know. What comes to mind is I've always liked Creedence Clearwater Revival, so the Proud Mary, which is rolling down the river, and I always substitute rowing for the word rolling. (laughs) So that's one of my favorite songs because of the uh, river mentioned in that. We're sitting here on the edge of the Colorado River in Grand Canyon National Park, and we are on the evening of day two on expedition with Outdoors Unlimited. And I'm sitting here with a group of guides. We are sitting on the boats, as you do at the end of the day. I've got to camp early today and had a lovely time running the Roaring Twenties. And I'm sitting here with Katie Chapman, Charlie Cottenham, and Travis Lamb. And we are in the presence of a living legend. His name is Glenn Goodrich. And just a few (laughs) moments ago, we were having a river moment. And I thought it would be a great time for Glenn to share a couple more of his stories. If you have just joining us, Glenn Goodrich has run 445 rivers around the world. And after this trip, which is his second back-to-back of the Grand Canyon, he's running 11 rivers in Colorado before he guides on the Arkansas. Then back to the Grand Canyon, then back to the Gali, and then hopefully to Africa with me in December. So, Glenn, I wanted to ask you about maybe a, an embarrassing moment on the river. Yeah, okay. It was on the Gali River, and we were on the lower Gali. I do this trip every year. I used to do this trip every year, and we'd have private trips, or normally just when you go to the Gali, you, you might have 10 people going, and I would put together these private trips, and we got up to 200 people. The, the park service would usually... You know, ask what we're doing. What are you doing? And I'd say a private trip, and they'd be like, "Yeah, sure." The upper gully is class five, and the lower gully is kind of class four plus. We do the lower gully. We take a bunch of inflatable kayaks. We might have forty people in inflatable kayaks, and so there's a a hole, a hole of white water that keeps a boat in there, and, and there's a hole that's really great to surf. It's surfing on a river is like surfing on the ocean except the wave doesn't move you're just in a wave and you're just staying there and there's a place called five boat hole and we used to go and take all these duckies in there and duckies meaning inflatable kayaks and we'd all surf and it was called five boat hole and our trip would always try to beat the record and we i think we got up to 10 or 12 boats in the hole but and there's lots of people on shore and of course i have you know over 100 people on my trip and and people are waiting to go in and surf and big crowd on the side and so i was in this double kayak with this girl named sherry and she's in the front of the boat i'm in the back of the boat we go in the hole and we're sideways and we're surfing and then i fell out of the boat and i reached out as i'm going out and and picture it's kind of superman style i'm i'm still holding onto the boat with my hands I got my paddle in one hand, my hand in the other, and my feet are extended downstream. And all of a sudden, I, 
I hear the cheers of the crowd, and what was happening was my shorts were going off, started going down my legs, and so I'm butt naked to the crowd, everybody's cheering, and I was able to hook the shorts on with one foot, and so, I, and, and Sherry, who was, she's still in the hole, and this hole is kind of violent, and you know, she's just getting pounded, and she's, she's going, Glenn, what's going on, what's going on, I go... Sherry, just hold my paddle, hold my paddle. And, and again, crowd still cheering, and, and I've got the pants hooked to my foot. And so uh, she held my paddle, and I was able to reach down and just kind of slowly, while I'm still got one hand on the inflatable kayak, she's in the hole surfing, and I'm pulling the, uh, my pants back up onto my, back up my legs. So anyway, that was a good embarrassing moment. Glenn, I'd like to ask you about some of the other rivers you've run around the world. And you, you, you tell stories to your clients in your boat all day long. But does any other story come to mind, like guiding in India? Last segment, you talked to us about guiding on the Zambezi. Mm-hmm. I think another worthy story was before I went to Africa, I had broken my wrist. <laughs> and uh, I talked about that. And that was going to the Dominican Republic two weeks prior to the Africa trip. And uh, so this is just four people. We had two two-person rafts and we were just going to go around and run some rivers in Dominican Republic and usually when I do a trip internationally I try to research rivers and this is a way this is 2006 but anyway there was one company running rivers but I couldn't find anything on the internet so we got there and I figured I'll find an outfitter get some information because I had no idea where the starting point was no idea where the takeout was and we looked around and we could not find an outfitter so all we heard was that there was a a lower section and an upper section. The upper section was class five, the lower was class three. So we're kind of driving along the road trying to figure it out and drove along a little ways and, and uh, we saw a little bit of the white water and we were thinking, yeah, this is the lower, so this is class three. So we anyway, we got to the river and we put in at this class three rapid and we're thinking we're running the class three and then we're gonna you know we're gonna find out more in the next day go up and run the class five stretch there was a nice class it was more like a class four good rapid that we could scout and take a look at and ran that rapid and then we floated a little more longer and then here was this bar up on a hill and we're going ah let's yeah we can stop have a beer we're only doing we're only doing class three and big steps to get up there and we ordered a beer and the beer was about you know two feet tall it was this huge beer and we each drank one and now we're pretty buzzed and and so we go on oh, we're okay we can have a little buzz going into a class three and, and we come around the corner and here's like this big class five rapid <laughs> my good friend cliff bavinsky was with i was with a lady named gina and cliff bavinsky was with a lady named magda and, and uh cliff flipped and we're trying to go chase them and I lost my paddle and I, I took the paddle from Gina and I'm in one person you know paddling through this class five and I'm and Cliff's swimming and I and Cliff and Magda are swimming and got him to throw me a paddle and we got through the we got through the rapid and we go oh so I guess this is the class five section but now we're in this canyon and so the rest we, it was okay for a few rapids and then we uh came to this big horizon line so so we decided i said let's stop and look and i went up kind of high on this hill and got a visual and i could all i could see was the right side i could i could not see the left side so right side looked like a really steep drop but water was coming out of it and i thought it looks runnable and uh so anyway we go over and gina and i and go over this huge drop and we 
almost slipped, but we made it. And Cliff and Magda come over and flipped, and then we're chasing them down. And and Cliff is like, just get me the heck out of here. I just want out of this canyon. And, and uh, so anyway, we ran that rapid. And so then we uh, floated on and then t- took off the river. And then uh, we finally found an outfitter. And so we go in to talk to that outfitter and started talking about it. And they go, oh, really? You ran that section? And uh, that's cool, you know? And so the, then we started describing that last rapid with the vertical drop on the right. And we described it and he, they go yeah that's Mike Tyson rapid yeah we run that on the left and we, have a, we ran it on the right and they go you ran it on the right what are you crazy <laughs> yeah, nobody runs it on the right we've had broken legs there and all kinds of <laughs> so, so anyway running a class 5 when we were expecting a class 3 so that was, that was my... <laughs> after a big beer if you're just joining us you are on the trail as traveled and that is the voice of Glenn Goodrich Glenn has been guiding all over the world since 1977 he mm-hmm. has run 445 rivers and after this expedition which is his second back to back on the Grand Canyon he's running 11 rivers on the Colorado Glenn I'd like to now ask you a question about what you've learned from your time running rivers all over the world <laughs> I've learned that. Learn don't drink, drink a tall beer. <laughs> if you don't, don't know what section you're running, it's always learning. Every trip I learn something new. As far as specific, what have I learned over the years? Learn to enjoy life and learn to appreciate people that are down here. And I've learned that whitewater isn't my top thrill. It's, it's, my, it's a, definitely a thrill. But my thrill is showing people these experiences. I mean, Travis was talking to me a minute ago about you go to these places, do you ever make money? And I'm like, I, 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 I said no. So I'm, when I go take friends down, other guides down rivers, and I don't make money, but I just have a real pleasure of organizing it because I know everybody's having a great time. And on these trips, that's the number one thing for me is my most passion is not the whitewater. My passion is making sure people have a great experience on the river, and that really is what gives me pleasure. Yeah. That really answered your question. That's beautiful. Now, sitting across from you, you've got a really good friend of yours, and it's kind of interesting. You got him down here. He's run the canyon 12 times. His name is Charlie, and this is your first time working together. So I was wondering if Charlie could maybe ask you a question. All right, Glenn. What's your favorite river? (laughs) (laughs) I know the answer to this one. And I love that river, too, and it's really... uh, I think it, I find it really interesting that your home river is your favorite river, despite having run so many others. So is there anything, anywhere you've been that you would go back that kind of would give you that same feeling as the Gully? Hard to beat the Gully. And it's tied for my favorite river, and the other favorite river is right here, the Grand Canyon. But, but other rivers around the world, mostly what I want to do is run different rivers. I like going back, and maybe if there's a really special river, I'd like to show people. I go back to do it because I want to show people that river. But probably the number one river that I've only done once that I would really like to do a second time, and it was actually my first multi-day trip, and I haven't done it since 1979, is the Middle Fork of the Salmon. Everybody knows that's a really special river, and I, that was my first overnight trip. I'm sure I could get back if I try to always end up doing these new things. But but that's probably the number one river that's uh, pretty special to me that I'd like to do again would be the Middle Fork of the Salmon. Uh, special memories there because it was my first one. And, 
back then, first multi-day anyway. You're on the trail less traveled, the community's source for adventure information and inspiration. Glenn, I wanted to thank you very much for your time and energy joining me here today on the trail less traveled. Thank you. Thanks, Mandela. Let's end this program with three bits of advice that you can share with the listener. Enjoy life. Enjoy what you do. One of the biggest things in life, I think, is to enjoy what you do. And people that find a job and don't enjoy it, it's not about the money. Get out of that job and find something you want to do. And All of us here are in this because we love it. And what a great job. Just doing what we love. Other advice, uh, be happy. That's all. Glenn Goodrich, what song would you like to end your show with? How about Blackwater by the Doobie yes! Brothers? I love the Doobie Brothers, and I love that song and love the harmony, but it's also about water, so that's my passion, water. Namaste Missoula, Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to collecting sound effects and interviews from the most remote locations around the world. Subscribe to the free podcast wherever you gather podcasts, and consider visiting traillesstraveled.net to see pictures, archive previous episodes, or contact me. I'd like to thank my guest for this week, my own personal river guide mentor, and the living legend known internationally as the Dalai Lama, Mr. Glenn Goodrich. In the 1970s, Glenn Goodrich graduated with a degree in computer science. He quickly decided that that was not going to go anywhere, so he decided to start guiding rivers. In 1977, Glenn started running rivers, and as of May 2018, Glenn has run over 445 rivers of the world with no plans of slowing down. His personal goal is to hit 500 rivers before he decides to retire. It's an honor to work alongside Glenn Goodrich on the Colorado River which slices through the Grand Canyon, and I look forward to running rivers with him in Africa this winter. My name's Mandela, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, and my goal for this show is to take you, the listener, back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Therefore, every week I will be interviewing an adventurer about what they do, how they do it, and how you can start adventuring in a similar fashion. The Trail Less Traveled is recorded at the Missoula Broadcasting Company, nestled in the mountains of Missoula, Montana, or on location around the world in order for me to find these adventurers and connect with them in their natural habitat. Tonight's episode was recorded while sitting in the shade where the Bright Angel Trail meets the mainstream of Colorado River, a place called Pipe Springs. Tune in next week for part two of my interview with Glenn Goodrich. We'll be talking about the human history in Grand Canyon. The Trail Less Traveled is the community's source for adventure information and inspiration every Sunday night at 6. My adventure tip this week comes from a member of our community in Missoula. It's a friendly reminder to please take off your snow tires if you haven't already done so. Driving around too late in the season with your snow tires will wear out your nubbins and prematurely age the pavement. Well, that's it for this week's adventure, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week, do something for Mother Earth, and also get outside and shred the gnar. Because as you know, and as I remind you every week, the gnar does not shred itself. <laughs>